This morning we're going to continue on uh, pursuing peace together. We've been looking over the last couple of weeks at this issue of how can we experience stillness, how can we experience peace in a world that is broken. And I'm not going to have a lot of peace with you up here, buddy, so you're going to have to head down this direction. Or if somebody wants a three-year-old for the day, come on up. <laughs> but today we're going to uh, continue down this path of, of looking at, at peace. And if you've missed any of the messages, that's all right, because today you're going to get the whole boat of everything we've talked about in one message. So that's just fabulous. Basically an overarching view right here is where we get to the bottom of the issue of how do we have peace in our world. And so want to, uh, as we do that, I want to prepare you, though, for next Sunday. Next Sunday will be a little bit different than normal. Next Sunday, we'll be doing an Ask Anything Sunday. What that means is, is that during the service, you can ask any question about anything, and we'll look at God's Word for some guidance and understanding together. So if there's been a question that's been boiling in your mind or your heart recently about an issue, about um, something going on in your life, or about something you've been talking to someone else about, maybe think about that a little bit more. Next week, you're going to have an opportunity to ask that question together, kind of an open Sunday where we can reflect on what's on our hearts and what's on our minds. Let's pray together. Gracious and everlasting God, we come before you this morning with grateful and thankful hearts for the promise that we just sung about, that there is no sorrow here that heaven can't heal. And so we ask now specifically that heaven would come and invade right now through your word and through your present of your living spirit. So we ask now, O oh Lord, as we listen and as we reflect on your word today, that you would speak to us, that you'd give us new understanding, that you'd move in our hearts, that you'd move in our lives. So we ask, O oh Lord, that you would come and work in Jesus' name. Amen. The world is broken. Things are not the way they should be. Mass shootings should not be dominating the news cycle every day for a whole week. I assume you would agree with me this morning with that assessment. The world is not well. We could have said that every Sunday for the last six weeks. Whether it was a shooting, whether it was a hurricane, or whether it was an evil dictator, we could have stood up here every Sunday, the last six Sundays, and said, the world is not well. This week, though, it's especially close to our hearts and our minds as tragedy and evil struck much closer as it struck our own nation. And it's a quick reminder of the reality of evil, and it's a quick reminder that for many, the world is not well. And in the midst of that, people can do interesting things. Most of the time, people draw back. At the exact same time, though, as people drawing back, people actually begin to cling to other things, cling to that which gives them hope, cling to that which gives them strength. So it's, there's this weird thing that happens during tragedy. Sometimes people pull back, but also then people will begin to cling to weird stuff. Hollywood will increase. Hollywood will increase as a result of tragedy. And you're going to say, well, how does that work? It's because we can go there to numb ourselves. Because what will Hollywood use? The very tragedy that has struck. Right? 
the best shows and the best movies will be based around what? Some event of evil or tragedy that happens. And so we're able to use that to numb ourselves. Or Hollywood does what? They'll have a show that sets up kind of perfection, that creates this atmosphere where everybody's like, oh, I wish that was me, the bachelor or bachelorette, right? Let's all be honest, right? You wish you could be the bachelor or the bachelorette. Okay, maybe it was just me this morning. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm joking. Now, you use those shows what? Because they create an alternative avenue for you to live where there's no pain or problem. And so all of a sudden, you can project on that that's you, that that's your situation. Why do you think Friends was so popular? Because everybody wanted that. Everybody wanted those close-knit relationships. Everybody wanted that fun environment. You could project yourself into it. And so what happens at times like this oftentimes is what? We numb ourselves through Hollywood. Or we begin to cling to weird things that we think will give us strength or hope. In the midst of tragedy and evil, where do you turn? The challenge for us as Christians is the Bible's not this book where it's got a little appendix at the back that says, when bad stuff happens, turn to page 88. The Bible doesn't work that way. There is no appendix to the Bible that says, when situation Y happens, turn to this page and you'll figure out what to do. The Bible's not an instruction manual that was written to cover every single event. The Bible is revelation. It's God revealing his character, his personhood, and a story of what he's been doing throughout history. And so when we come to a situation like this, we can't go to the Bible and say, how does the Bible say I should respond to this specific event? But we have to go to the Bible and say, in light of what God has revealed, how does that direct how I respond? In light of what the Bible has revealed, how does that direct how I respond? And so this morning, there's no Bible passage for me to turn to that says, do this in light of this last week. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go back to the basics. We're going to look at the overarching message of Christianity and then ask ourselves, how does that affect this situation? We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with the first verse. I'm going to read from there. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed the word of the Lord. This morning, we look here in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul is basically giving a reminder here. 
He's basically saying to the Corinthian church, hey, let me tell you, here's the message that I preached. Here, here, come back. This is what I was preaching to you. So really what we've got here is a summary of what we call the gospel or the good news. And the message here of Christianity can be summarized very simply. The life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, he's specifically narrowing in on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But both of those assume something. That Jesus was alive. That Jesus actually walked the earth. So the good news, the message of Christianity, the story begins with the life of Jesus. And when you think of Jesus, there's one phrase that should constantly come into your mind. It's something we sing a lot about at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we see this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, this is the Christmas story, according to the Gospel of John, that the word, which is and was eternal, became flesh. Very simply, what John is saying is this, God is with us. The life of Jesus is a big deal, not because he was an amazing teacher of morality, the life of Jesus is a big deal, not because he created this group of people and caused all of this problem for Jews and the Roman Empire. The life of Jesus is a big deal because the life of Jesus is God with us. You know, another way to think of it is this. God accomplished his grand purpose by being with humanity. The creator of the world could have just snapped and his purposes would have been accomplished. But the creator of the universe does not remain far off, but rather comes near to humanity. And so God accomplishes his grand purpose by being present with humanity. There's a big deal about just being present, about just being with someone. When I was just a little fella, and believe it or not, I can get smaller. When I was just a little bit, when I was just a little fella, you know, six, seven, eight, I always get to go to the farm for the summer at my grandma and grandpa's. It was just absolutely awesome. And during that time, they were raising cattle. And so my uncle was always busy doing something with the steers. And, and I remember specifically, there was a pen that we were trying to draw them into. And then they would go down a chute from there. And that's where you do your other, whatever you do, you know, shots, all of that fun stuff. Well, anyhow, he gave me the job always of, holding this gate that was here. And he just always told me, he said, just stand there. Stand there. Don't do anything. And if there's trouble, just run the other direction. In other words, if they're actually trying to get out, just let them get out. We'll take care of them later. But you're just a little fella, and they are big. But here's the interesting thing. They never got out. And it wasn't because there was a big guy guarding the gate. It's because there was someone present. There's a big deal about just being present. And that's exactly how God accomplishes his plan, his purposes. He's actually present with humanity. He comes and he lives with human beings. He takes on real flesh. And you say to yourself, well, Jesus just came and kind of, you know, had security walked around, didn't really have to get his hands dirty at all. I think the one verse in the Bible that describes right pinpointed that Jesus was God with us and really truly was with us is the shortest verse in all of the Bible. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. 
In John chapter 11, we have the story where someone dies named Lazarus. And it's come back and it's reported to Jesus. And Jesus returns and visits with his friends. And his friends are struggling. And it describes Jesus in this passage in John 11 of one kind of being upset. On one hand, he's upset because he's like, don't people know that, yes, he's fallen asleep, he's, he's dead, but I'm the resurrection. There's going to be life. So on one hand, he's actually kind of angry about that. Yet at the exact same time, John 11 describes that Jesus, full of compassion, he saw his friends hurting, and he saw the pain and the reality of sin. It says and then verse 35, Jesus wept that here's the most mature person to ever exist in the universe, a perfect being. And yet, what does this perfect being do? This perfect being cries. There's nothing wrong with tears. And actually, in reality, some more tears would do some of you very well. The life of Jesus is really God with us. And God being with us was not just a bystander, but God with us meant that he wept with us and he wept for us, literally. So this morning, if God was one to come and be with people, how about you and I today? How much more so with you and I, if God is in the relationship business of being with, if that's how he accomplishes his purpose, how much more so with you and I than today? How does God accomplish his purposes through us? For with you and I being with people. Some of you simply need somebody to cry with. Now the difference in Christianity and worldly grief is that in Christianity we cry to release and to acknowledge and to be honest. We do not cry to stuff. What I mean by that is we do not cry and then say, try to keep it in and keep it together. But rather, crying or weeping is a release point. Some of you simply haven't released what's all in here. Do you have someone that can weep with you? Do you have someone whom you can weep with? Some of you this morning are in the position where you need someone to weep with you. Some of you are in a position this morning where you need to go weep with someone. So be with another person or let another person be with you. I hope you've seen this throughout this whole series on peace. Is that ultimately it's all about relationship. That we can't have the peace of God unless we're with God and we're with God by being with God's people. And so very practically this morning... Do you have someone who's with you? And how about yourself, though? Are you making yourself available to be with someone? There's one thing that's majorly lacking in our culture, and even in the church, myself included, and that's persistent presence. Persistent presence. We live in a microwave culture, and it's not just in the kitchen. It's all around. We want everything real quick, real fast, right away. And if it doesn't happen, what you move on to the next thing. Boom. In reality, life doesn't work that way. We need people who stay with us. So let me give you something really simple to do. Really simple. And some of you might think, well, this is a little bit mechanical. It's disingenuous. Not at all. We live busy lives, right? 
run the go. We're a global society. One weekend you're in Omaha shopping, the next weekend you're watching the Vikings get their tails kicked. Who knows what you're doing from weekend to weekend. But we're busy people. And so what happens in the midst of our busyness is we forget someone else's loss. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Do you know someone who's had a loss? You know what you need to do? Is put a note in your calendar, literally. Four weeks, six months, one year. Just put a note that says, take cinnamon rolls to person X. Take cookies to person X. Go wash windows for person Y. Literally, put it in your calendar. It's not disingenuous to have to be reminded. What's unfaithful is not showing up. So put a reminder today for someone that you want to be present with. And you know what? Show up. And sometimes it means showing up and being real quick. You don't have to show up and be like, hey, I'm here to counsel you. How can I help you today? You show up, you're present, and if you talk, you talk. If you don't talk, you don't talk. It's the ministry of presence. So do you have someone today who's with you? And who are you going to be with? The life of Jesus Christ is all about God with us. That God incarnated. In other words, he left aside his divinity and came and lived amongst humanity. If God is about relationship, how much more should you and I be about relationship? So the message of Christianity begins with the life of Jesus because God accomplishes his purpose by being with us. But it doesn't just stop with his life. It moves on to the death of Jesus Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance. First importance. And what's the very first thing he says? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. There is no Christianity without the death of Jesus Christ. There is no preaching without the cross. All that is, is moralistic, therapeutic deism. That there's some God far off that wants to give you some rules to follow, and if you do, you're going to feel better. Christianity always includes the cross, the death of Jesus Christ. For it's at the cross, as the prophet proclaimed in Isaiah chapter 53, that the suffering servant becomes familiar with our grief, becomes familiar with our sufferings. Very specifically, the prophet says that the Messiah, the suffering servant, is going to be well acquainted with grief. We do not have a God who's far off from suffering, but we have a God who has experienced suffering, literally. It's not just seen in the prophet predicting it, but it's seen in the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus is about to go to the cross, and what does he say? He says the same thing that you and I would say. He says to God, God, take this cup from me. Very simply, what he's saying is, God, I, I don't want to undergo this wrath. Take the cup of wrath that's about to be poured out on me. Jesus just expresses it right there. That's right before the cross. And then when he's on the cross, Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is not the crying out of one who's not familiar with pain. But this is a God who knows pain intimately well because he sent his own son there. His son knows pain and he knows pain. 
We have a God who knows and understands and is familiar with suffering. What does that mean for us practically? What that means practically is that we have a God who can understand. We have a God who we can approach. It's a big deal to have someone who identifies with you, right? We're all looking for this, right? How many of you go to a counselor, and if you go to a counselor, you leave going, wow, they were absolutely great. They don't identify with me at all. I think they're going to be really helpful. It doesn't happen, right? We go where? We go where there's people who identify with us. Now, at our house, we're getting ready to go to a party or something, and, and I kind of set the dress code in our home, obviously. And so, you know, as you're always getting ready to go, it's always a question, well, is this, is this a casual business event? Is this a jeans event? Or is this a shirt and tie event? And it's kind of like, well, why is it such a big deal? I'm sure you've been down this road, right? It's a big deal because you don't want to be the one that shows up where? At the tie event in jeans. Because what happens? You just feel awkward and out of place the whole time. And I guarantee you it has an effect on the way you behave at that event. Right? Because you don't feel like anyone else at all is identifying with you. Just simply by outward appearance. It's a big deal to have people who identify with you. Well, we have a God, the creator of the universe, who identifies, us, identifies with us in the worst of the worst. He identifies with our suffering. Actually, it goes the other way. Because God has experienced suffering that the vast majority will never experience. And so actually, we go and we seek to identify with God just a little bit. So this means for you and I today that there is a God who we can be intimate with. Very frankly, let me put it this way in practical application. Pray openly to God. Have you expressed honest acknowledgement of what's going on in you and around you to God? This is a good gauge. This isn't a formula to get a good relationship with God, but this is a good reflection of how your relationship with God is. How intimate with you are, are you with God in your conversation, prayer? Have you actually expressed what you're feeling? Have you actually expressed your understanding and what you're thinking? God can handle it. And God is approachable. I'm not going to approach God and say, Oh, God, why did you leave me be here at this moment? And that's not going to cause God to run the other way. His own son said, God, why have you forsaken me? And so have you found intimacy with the creator of the universe? Because he identifies with us. Finding intimacy creates a new level of confidence and comfort that it's hard to explain with words until you really experience. And so this next week, simply be open with God. Sounds so weird to say. God already knows everything. Yet God doesn't ask us to go about our life going, well, he already knows, so I'm just going to keep on going. No, God asks us to express it so that we enter into a functional relationship. Have you ever just openly expressed to God, God, I'm upset with so-and-so and having a really hard time forgiving them? God can handle it an opportunity for you to express and then receive back his truth and his encouragement. 
Simply put, the death of Jesus Christ has solved our greatest problem. He took the punishment for our sin. And in the process of taking the punishment for our sin, he identifies with our suffering because he suffers for us. And so, in the midst of a tragedy like this, it's, it's an honest question to say, where is God at? Well, we know that. God is ready to interact. Where's God at? God has been familiar with suffering, and God is ready to interact with those who are in the midst of it. The life of Jesus, God is with us. The death of Jesus, God suffers for us. And then the final message of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, Christ died for our sins. And then he starts in verse 4 and 5, that Christ was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then he spends the rest of the passage, 1 Corinthians 15, unpacking and defending this truth that Jesus rose from the dead. Why? He spends all this time arguing for it because he knows that if the resurrection is not true, Christianity crumbles. There's no Christianity without the resurrection. Because Jesus would have just been a moral teacher. If there was no resurrection, you and I would be fools today for gathering together and giving ourselves just this false hope. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us a guarantee that nothing that happens today can affect our eternal future. Nothing. We've lost so much the power of the resurrection. The reality is the resurrection is what we cling to because in the resurrection, it's not just like, well, bad stuff is going to stop happening. It's so much more than that. Check out this quote from Pastor Tim Keller. He says, but resurrection is not just consolation. It is restoration. We get it all back. The love, the loved ones, the goods, the beauties of this life, but in new, unimaginable degrees of glory and joy and strength. Isn't that awesome? This man has studied the Bible. He's one of the, the, the world's best Bible teachers that's lived in our generation. And Pastor Keller is just declaring to us today that in the resurrection, it's not just a stop of the bad, but guess what? There's a full-on delivery to you of a multiplement of your investment more than could ever be imagined. Everything comes back to you, but guess what? It comes back to you tenfold, a hundredfold. Think of your best times for just a moment right now. Think of those best moments. For some of you, maybe that was a family vacation. For some of you, maybe that was just a, a moment with family doing X. Or maybe for some of you, that was a great moment at work of accomplishment. Think of that best moment. Guess what? That best moment is not even going to compare with the everyday moment when it comes to the resurrected life. Not even compare. That's amazing. Are you ready for that? No wonder the Apostle Paul can stand with strength in the midst of persecution. No wonder the Apostle Paul can see his fellow believers persecuted and killed, and he can say, I'm pushing on. Why? Because he knows the reward is so much greater. And so today, are you captured with the resurrection? Do you realize that, man, Hollywood is good. 
You think Hollywood can numb the pain. Just wait until you get to the resurrection. It's not going to need to numb the pain. Because pain isn't even going to be in our mind. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is going to take each and every one of us to unimaginable levels. That's why, again, in a couple of weeks, we're just going to have a whole Sunday in heaven because we're just going to lay out what God has laid out about this unimaginable inheritance just to give us a little bit of a glimpse into what God has promised and what he's given us. And so today, in the midst of suffering, this is completely countercultural because this doesn't make sense to people outside the church. And so it doesn't even work to really say this. It doesn't work to say this on Facebook to unbelieving friends because it just doesn't make sense. Outside the church, it doesn't work because there's not the focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a focus on becoming a butterfly after you die or just whatever. I mean, it's absurd. Our focus is in one place, the resurrection through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so today, are you claiming a resurrection promise? These practical applications today, you should be like, geez, this guy doesn't work at all. He's just repeating other practical applications. That's right, I am. I'm repeating other practical applications. Claim a resurrection promise in every loss. We should have so memorized in our hearts and our minds phrases like when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. We should have so much memorized in our hearts about how sin has lost its final push. There's victory an imperishable inheritance that every time we think of a loss, we can think of a resurrection promise at that exact moment. And so that loss turns into a reminder of what's coming in the future. You have a resurrection promise that you go back to. Just memorize those resurrection promises so that when you're thinking of that loved one who knew Jesus Christ, every time you're thinking of them, guess what you're thinking? of the fullness of joy that they have in the presence of Christ. So actually that elevates us out of grief because now we're thinking, wow, think about it for a moment. They're in the fullness of joy in the presence of Christ. I couldn't be happier for them. Claim a resurrection promise in every single loss. As we reflect on suffering, as we reflect on the world being broken, we come back to the core message of Christianity. The core message of Christianity is the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that message changes how we travel in the midst of suffering. It changes that we know God is with us, so we're with others. It changes because we know that God suffered for us, so we have a God who can go to, we can go to. We know that it changes because God conquered death for us, so we know we have hope even in the midst of loss. The message of Christianity changes everything. We know very well today that we could get back up here next Sunday morning and probably give the exact same sermon because we know this next week that something's going to happen. Either evil from humanity or natural disaster. We know that something's going to happen that's going to cause us to say, it is not well with the world. It is not well with the world. We know that. We agree on that this morning. My prayer 
is that we could agree on one other thing this morning for each of us personally. That we could leave here today, each of us personally, saying, it is not well with the world, but it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul, and it can be well because of the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the year 1871, Horatio Spafford was a businessman in Chicago, and he basically lost everything to the Chicago fire at that time. Horatio had four children. Eighteen months later, lost his son to pneumonia. Three years later, Horatio's wife was traveling with their three daughters to Europe. And as they were traveling to Europe, their ship collided with another ship. And all three daughters died. Days later, Horatio received a telegram back in Chicago that said, Saved alone, what shall I do? It was from his wife. Saved alone, what shall I do? They had lost their business in the fire. They had lost their son to pneumonia. They had lost their three children at sea. Horatio would travel over to Europe to pick up his wife. And as he traveled over to Europe, he wrote the following words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, that has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. When sea billows roll, it brings whole new meaning to it when you know why it was written. Literally, the waves rolled and took the life of three of his daughters. Yet, in the midst of that, he wrote and he sang, It is well with my soul. Why? Because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we sing about when peace like a river. We sing about our sin going to Jesus and taking him to the cross. And then we sing at the end about the trumpet resounding. And who comes when the trumpet resounds? Christ returns and all the dead are raised. So in this song that we sing together, we proclaim that it is well with our souls because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let this not just be a song that we sing at our funeral, but let this be a song that we sing in our hearts and our minds every day, that we are people of comfort and strength, because truly it is well in our souls. This morning, I don't know the suffering, I don't know the pain of each of you, but I know the suffering and the pain of the God of this universe, of what he went through for each of you, and the promise of the resurrection through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so this morning, will you look to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And will you say, Jesus, I trust in you, so that you can sing and proclaim, it is well with my soul. We all know very well 
that tomorrow morning it is not going to be well in our world. But will it be well with our soul? Let us pray. Gracious Creator, we come before you this morning acknowledging the suffering and the pain. We come before you this morning asking for your continued presence with us through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for anyone this morning that has not yet experienced intimacy with you. I pray that you'd break down that barrier, that wall, Lord, that they could come to you and express their pain to you. But God, I pray that you'd open that to each of us this morning. I also pray this morning now that you capture each of our hearts and each of our minds with the promise of the resurrection. Lord, thank you for life everlasting in your presence to the fullness of joy. So God, we pray now that through the miraculous work of your Holy Spirit, you would take the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, and you would burn that into our lives, that it would become our story as well. So God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Above all, thank you for your son, Jesus. And we pray now that you do a work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.